Hello, this is Eric with Dungeons and Tangents. You are tuning in to one of the early episodes of this podcast, so I wanted to make sure you know the quality of these early episodes is inferior to later episodes. I recommend checking out episode 14 or later. It's around that time that we really get our process figured out. If you're listening to this early material, I hope you forgive us for our learning curve, and thank you very much for listening. All right, uh, this is episode three of whatever this is. That's accurate. <laughs> um, and today's topic is uh, table manners. It's, it occurred to me to talk about it when we were talking about actual play podcasts. Oh, yeah. And audio quality, consistency of experience, things like that. Some people who will roll dice close to the mic, things like that. But it really translates or carries over really well into just not even a podcast, but just playing with your friends and whatever. You know, there are certain, you know, it's manners or etiquette that some people think are important, some people don't think about, you know, maybe just never occurred to them or they don't play a whole lot, things like that. But... Um, I think it's, it might be a good, I thought it might be a good episode for us to talk about, you know, the differences between some groups, other groups. Yeah. Things I probably think are obvious, some people might think are unreasonable, you know? Yeah. The subject applies to every game on the planet, from Monopoly to D&D to uh, playing a game of poker. Pretty much any of those games, you're going to get banter. People are going to talk back mm -hmm. and forth, potentially, depending on the group of people. Um, some people appreciate the banter and some people don't appreciate banter. I don't like banter that gets off topic. Right. I like, I'm, I'm okay if the banter is all about like making fun of the situation in the game. If it's, mm -hmm. um, if it's, uh, playing off of the game in some way, but if it's like, Hey, check this out. Uh, my friend just sent me a picture of some dogs. It takes away from the experience and it, it, it pulls you away from the reason you're sitting at that table. Agreed. And there, it's and it changes. It's when it is isn't appropriate. Uh, our sessions have a pretty uh, consistent pattern insofar as that we'll get together, banter, uh, have kind of an introduction, move forward. You do a really good job of kind of doing that thing where you, okay, it's time to play. Do I? <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> kind of corral the players, get us together, we go. We get about 20 minutes in, and somebody in goes, eh, I'm kind of hungry. We'll order something yeah. probably half an hour other that arrives we push forward gaming what we're going to do for that half hour hour but then it's, we get that break of food it's like okay we'll break we can have non-game banter things like that but pretty usually pretty tightly focused um, and again like you said there's banter and there's game banter and non-game banter right and things that add to the experience or or at least you know perfectly associated with it very cool I've been listening to a lot more actual play podcasts lately. Um, so Glass Cannon, I've been listening mm -hmm. to a lot in the last week. They very, very rarely have banter that isn't directly related to the game, but they're constantly bantering about stuff in the game. Yes. <laughs> and I think that there's there's two things going on there. That's a great example. I've been listening to a lot of that too lately. Thank you, Rutledge. Um, there's banter that you don't notice. Yeah. And then, um, because they're constantly using those voices... They're in character voices, and so the banter feels like it's part of the game. Right? That's true. Uh, I, I, I just listened to an episode where they flat out started talking about out-of-character stuff in character voice 
to kind of break that fourth wall. <laughs> and it was not as, it didn't like pull me out of the experience as much because it, it kept me engaged because, yeah. you know what I mean? So they're good at doing that and maybe sliding or slipping in some of that, that banter that you don't notice because it's still in the voice. The other side of it is those voices keep them kind of grounded into the game and so they're not quite as tempted. It's not as easy to have that out of character banter, right? That's true. Uh, the other um, podcast-ish thing uh, I've watched a fair bit of is uh, Critical Role. They treat the entire thing like they are on stage being actors. Right. So I don't see them banter at all about anything game or non-game they're in character non-stop and it's a for you and me that's that's unrealistic we're not going to go Correct. into a gameplay expect ourselves and our players to j- just not talk with one another about mm-hmm. about some funny joke that comes to mind because of the situation right. that's in the game um but they are all i don't think all of them are actors but most of them are actors and so they're trained in staying on target staying on that mm-hmm. um in character and they do i appreciate it as a as a watcher i really appreciate that they stay in character the whole time i feel like i am watching them writing a story together and there's never a moment of them backing out into oh hey uh matt what what did you what did you get for food today (laughs) like they don't talk about uh anything other than the game and that is, I think that's kind of an outlier in that, as you pointed out, mm-hmm. they're, you know, that's their profession, they're trained to do that, they have that discipline, and it's something they practice over and over again. Taking that kind of out of that data set and, and looking at, you know, what you'll normally encounter in other gamers, gaming groups, and like that, I've noticed that that's very difficult to eliminate or, you know, reduce or, or minimize banter in a group where you're all friends or you know each other. Yeah, yeah. It's very naturally, feel very comfortable. Uh, our group like it, uh, becomes doubly difficult because a lot of us work together, and so yeah. we immediately kind of just slip into that mode of talking about work, you know, and and a lot of different opportunities to talk about not what we're doing, not on the game, right? I think there's a, a direct correlation between the number of people in the game, yes, and how how focused everyone is. And that number will increase, like that threshold, if you will, will increase the more number of people you have in the game who don't know each other, in my experience. Really? Okay. Because you're there to play, and you have that social anxiety of, I don't know anybody, so I don't feel comfortable to crack jokes, like that, and so let's okay. focus on what we're all here to do, and all, you know, um, and all that. And I've, uh, so I've played some Adventure League, mm-hmm. which is, uh, for those who haven't uh, heard about Adventure League, it's... You go to a game store and you play D&D with a bunch of perfect strangers. Um, usually, at least in Portland here, usually it's a table of six players and a DM because it's a very popular thing. Um, you pretty much have to show up like 15 to 20 minutes early just to get a seat. Um, and you're right. Everybody sits down. They talk about nothing but the game. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, there might be a little, oh, hey, you know, how'd you find out about this? Talking with one another is just normal socialization. Right. But that that social anxiety that everybody has when you're meeting new people, um, well, every nerd has <laughs> when meeting new people, yeah. uh, it does cut down on the on the banter and the, the distractions. What do you think about eating at the table? Um, I am a traditionalist, and I think snacks are just a... 
ingrained part of Dungeons and Dragons, or really any tabletop. Um, okay. So eating, as a rule, I don't think is bad. Um, I think it depends on the game you're playing, the type of games. At some point, we're going to talk about miniatures. Um, oh, miniatures, yeah. We, it might be something we break out in multiple sessions, because <laughs> I think it's a, a very rich topic to talk about. But it relates to this as far as that if you are playing a game and you have miniatures and you're going to be touching somebody's miniatures and they're not mm. yours, you don't want to be eating something that's greasy or, you know, that Dorito powder or, you know, Cheetos or whatever. Like, I think it's, it's important to be respectful that you're physically interacting with somebody else's stuff. They may be very particular. I know I'm incredibly particular about <laughs> All of I'm things, not right, and so you, you should keep that in mind when you're doing that. And if it's just a matter of you know, have some paper towels, wet naps, whatever you know. But um, I think that's important. Um, I don't think I've ever seen anybody try to do D and D and uh, uh, buffalo wings at the same time. That that seems like I'm a, sure it's happening. <laughs> it seems like a disaster. Um, and I'm sure somebody's gotten their fight over you know their their. Their minis or their, or <laughs> oh my god! Can you imagine their dice? Somebody touched their oh dice. Oh god! Yeah, with, with buffalo sauce. Yes. No, that's not okay. <laughs> you, have, you have to throw the dice out first of all. Um, and your friend probably maybe closely to follow that. Uh, yeah. So I think there's and, and there's a lot of common sense or just you know respecting the people yeah. around you and all that, but. It can be easy, you know, you're gaming and you get into it and you don't think about it, but I think snacks are an incredibly important part of tabletop. I think it's important, the kind of snacks you bring to the table. <laughs> super, um, super good ideas for snacks, pretzels. That's true. They're not going to get anything on anything. Right? Just, just crumbs, a little bit yep. of crumbs. Uh, you know, stuff like that are, are, are great ideas. I know you like Pringles. <sighs> <laughs> I have a problem. I, I like uh, uh, kettle corn. Kettle corn? I don't know why. You and Savannah both love it. I, I okay. think it's terrible. But I understand not everybody agrees with me. Um, uh, beef jerky, you know, stuff like yeah. that. There's all kinds of fantastic stuff for for tabletop. I want to back up for a second into distractions. Yeah. So I've never played a game where... Uh, I've heard of people doing this thing where if they do a game night... There's like a basket. You put all your electronic devices in the basket. Basket goes in another room. Right. And you don't get a distraction from your phone. Everybody yeah. deals with the, the phone distraction constantly. Mm. And uh, I don't. have you ever played a game night where I've, I've, people threw away their phones for... I've never had any... You, know, you could go to the movie theater, turn off your phone. Right? That's true. You yeah. Know? But where it's like, hey, we're all friends and all that. I don't trust you to be an adult. Give me your well, electronic device. Like That fair. seems a little hostile to me. Um, I think that's a, a self-resolving problem as far as that you gain people you like and then people can't get their shit together you probably just don't gain with that individual for very long right well we had we had a game for a while we were playing Pathfinder the card game mm -hmm. where um, we played probably like 10 sessions before it really this really started but everybody was pulling out their phone except me because everybody was playing uh, what was it it was like Marvel Puzzle Quest or something uh, oh well that, that that one you can directly blame on me, because <laughs> uh, I play Marvel Close to this day, uh, and I was just the one who said, oh, "This is a great idea or a great game." And we're like, "Oh no, it's not." And I look around the table and it's yeah, Brittany, Nick, you, Ben, all oh, playing yeah. Marvel Marvel yeah. Puzzle, Puzzle Quest. Absolutely. And I'm like, uh, "Do we need to like strategize about what our next step is going to be?" <laughs> um, 
And I think like, it's very easy when you have a, a board game or something like that, and, and again, where you're not as engaged. It's, yeah, it's a casual you, game. Yeah. And every, everybody, you know, has their moments. I'm not perfect. <laughs> everybody who knows me knows that. Um, but yeah, I, I will, I'll take I will take the hit on that one. That was my fault. In in my head, I have an ideal of what a game night would is, and it involves phones away. And maybe I'm crazy in that way. No, I don't think so. Um, but I also know that that's completely unrealistic. Like when whenever we do D and D here at work. Um, it could be it could be three players in me. It could be seven players in me. And I and if it's seven players, player one on on my right, after their turn is done and it's mm-hmm. cycling around, what are they, like? Maybe it's a really engaging game and everybody's like leaning over the table wants wants to know what's happening. But it's possible that it's a it's a combat situation and um, it's just going to be. I do this, okay, let's resolve that. I do this, okay, let's resolve that. Over and over and over, seven times over, and person one is going to be like, you know what, I'm going to check some email. Right. And it's difficult, too, because you can't tell what somebody's doing on their phone. Like yeah. We use, we both use an app for uh, Spellbook or something, for yeah. spells, which makes it a lot more efficient than, you know, going through the book and looking at different things. And what's nice about that is you just, you pick up your phone when you need it, which is usually, there's usually a short condensed amount of time in a game where you have to cast spells over and over yeah. again. And then after that, it's just, a, it's, it's a very rare occurrence, right? Um, but yeah, they, I would agree. They can be very, very distracting by very nature of what they do. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're entertainment devices now, so yeah, and we're just we're not used to not using them constantly. No, um, I don't know if, but uh, I think the last game I played where it was just three players and me, uh, you know, you're checking your. Dog <laughs> <laughs> point, and again, I don't even think about it. I just do right. Um, the last game where it was three players. And me, I think it was you, Matt, Ben, and me. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, um, I don't remember anybody checking their phones once. And like you said, it's it's about we're adults. At least it's, the people that we play that, with are yeah, adults. But also, when you have that kind of a situation, your turns come around so frequently. Yeah, that helps stay engaged as well. Whereas if you have eight people, you may have five or six minutes before. Things yeah. actually come back around to you, right? Yeah. So it feels like, um, geez, I played I played games of uh, Cards Against Humanity where there were twenty people in the room. Yeah, and it's, it's and it's like you put down your card and you walk away. Yeah, <laughs> and you come back for the punchlines, and that's it's it. It's hard not to. I mean, yeah. Um, some things don't scale incredibly well. Yeah. Uh, I, in my opinion, D and D, three to four players. Plus, somebody running the game is really the sweet spot. Yeah. Um, and once you, you you can stretch to five, once you start to getting that six plus a DM, it just becomes really unwieldy. Which um, I am infinitely impressed that Matt Mercer and his crew at Critical Role are capable of running a game with eight players at times and everybody staying on task. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. Some people can do it. Some people are much better than others, <laughs> and just like everything else. I actually think they do a phone in a basket, put it in the other room thing. Yeah. Um, but again, actors, 
actors don't get on, up on stage with their phones in their pockets. Well, you're talking about like a, a production level kind of event yeah. where they're, they're specifically going for that kind of feel, right? They, you know, today they do. When they first started out, it was just a casual game. Um, but I think they just they wanted to have that feel to their gameplay, that very focused feel. And the more people you add, the more you have to kind of. I think you have to have rules for focus if you want to scale up a lot. I, I think that applies to, 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 to most things. Um, I've been watching YouTube videos of like people streaming on Twitch and, and like they have compilation videos of, of people, you know, Twitch fails or whatever. And it's obvious some people take things a lot more seriously than other people, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and not just like production by and all that, but like I'm just, I'm going to be engaged in what I'm doing as opposed to I'm doing this because I think it's cool or silly or something, you know. Um, and the same thing, like, we play D&D to have fun yeah. with our friends and to get around, and, and it's something that we do. It's a hobby. Not necessarily trying to do a, a you know, a professional yeah. production and we're not like that. We're not producing a product. Our, right. our product exactly. isn't, uh, our product or our service isn't, hey, we're playing D&D, everybody watch us play D&D. It's, hey, everybody watch us talk about D&D. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think the next one on the list is... Rules, knowing the yeah, rules. That's a, that's that, a pretty broad topic. It, it's a well, it's a broad topic, but I, it, immediately hearing know the rules brings some bad situations that I've experienced to mind. Maybe I'm a jerk, but as a DM, I spend uh, multitudes of hours before each game getting ready, and I don't necessarily know all the rules. I know most of the rules. The rules that I know the rules that I need to know. And I try to know as many rules that apply to each of the, the players as I think will be pertinent for mm -hmm. each game. Periodically, players will show up and just not know anything. I love introducing new people to D&D, &D, mm -hmm. and I expect them to not know all the rules. I expect them to come to the table and be like, you know what, I don't, I don't know what we're doing, tell me what we're doing, and then handing out, here's, here's uh, the combat rules, here's... Um, explain their character to them, spend time getting them up to speed. But after they're up to speed, I kind of expect them to, to um, run with it from there. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, no, no rules, again, kind of a broad topic. Um, but I, I, I feel like I know what you're talking about. Uh, let me tell you a story, one of my experiences, and see if that's more in line with what you're trying to, okay. trying to convey. Um, when I first moved to Portland... I, that's when I started playing D&D again a lot in my adult life. And I was like, oh, cool, I live my own, and, you know, <laughs> I'm a grown-up now. Uh, I do what I want. <laughs> and the first thing I did with that uh, power was I found people to play Dungeons & Dragons with. Um, and I w we would go through some people in the group, uh, kind of rotate in and out, and a lot of it was people who hadn't played before. And so oh, okay. there was one individual who I was helping, you know, roll characters, stuff like that. And go over the basic core mechanics of combat. You know, this was just three, five at a time. And uh, I was very clear on a couple of different points. Of like, this is going to be very important. It's going to help a lot. And it's very key to your character concept. We don't want to go over this. And their basic attitude was like, it's not that big of a deal. Don't worry about it. I'll pick it up as we go. Mm -hmm. Right. And that was very disappointing to me because I was like, well, it's not that you're not taking it seriously. It's that you're not going to pick it up as you go. We're all going to stop and wait for you to learn it in the moment. Right. When you could have figured it out beforehand. Right. And respected everybody else's time. 
I know, I, you know, that's a little bit unique to D&D. The, almost all games um, have an equal footing for every player. Mm-hmm. Every player is playing against exactly the same rules. Monopoly, you know, poker, chess, all of them are... Everybody comes to the table with an equal set of rules and an equal um, chance of winning in that case. And D&D, you come to the table, you may be playing a bard, and there's a barbarian and a cleric, and all three of them have three different sets of rules that do not translate to the other. Right. Uh, and so what you're saying is the game can stop if, if the bard doesn't know what he's doing. Yes. And you're going you're gonna to encounter that where you bring new people into the game and they don't know something. Yeah. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, for me, it's the attitude of I don't need to put in the effort of, of not impeding everybody else's experience because I'm doing you a favor by being here and you can all just kind of compensate for my lack of, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, give a shit, basically. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I find it incredibly offensive and disappointing to me. It's like, this is a social interaction. We're all here to have fun together. Uh, Specifically, it removes themselves from that dynamic and saying, no, we're here for me. And the second somebody Mm -hmm. is comfortable and entitled to the point that's saying, we're going to stop this experience and you're going to compensate for me, what you're saying, in my mind, is you're here for me. That's... Um, And again, I'm very particular and I understand (laughs) that, but that's how I look at it. Um, and yeah, that that particular instance got me livid. And when you say know the rules, that was the first thing that popped in my mind of like, it doesn't have to this will be. I'm not expecting you to, to be an encyclopedia. I have another friend yeah. who used to get sleepy when we would play, and he would lay down. And I'm not making this up. We would have questions, and we discover this by accident. And then we would like do it to try and stump him, and he would just lay on the couch and be like. Page 123, you know, <laughs> just from memory, he would know. A lot. I'm not saying people should know the rules to that extent, although, you know, that would be so, awesome. Yeah. Every, um, I've, I've done that a couple times. And somebody I says, don't know what the page is that, that on? It's page, page 129. Uh, I have to, you know, I have to have markers and post notes on my books for a reason, right? Because <laughs> I don't know where everything is. Um, but have just the respect and the consideration for people around you to not actively, consciously be a burden with no concept of the what you're actually doing to don't inflict yourself on the other players right and i think there there are other there's knowing the rules but there's other ways of being prepared that are kind of critical to that yeah helping, helping everybody have fun yeah i mean the, the the base rule of any game should be are we having fun i think there are a couple exceptions poker am i making money <laughs> yeah chess am i the smartest guy in the world um, but most games, it's, are we having fun? And if you're not prepared for a game that involves a lot of being prepared, then you're impeding the fun. Um, and some of the other things that you need to be prepared with are you need your character sheet, and you need your character sheet done. Yeah. Um, or ask for help well yeah. before the session. Yeah, right? yeah. When we play here, mm-hmm. I try to make sure if people are going to level up, they do it before the game. If they don't level up, you know what? It's fine. You're, you're going to stay at that previous level. If we're all stopping, again, stopping so that one person can get leveled up, it's, it eats into everybody's time. So the, the, the glass cannon guys actually did something that I thought was a 
brilliant thing. Obviously, they're they're focused on trying to be an entertaining podcast, so they're more prepared than the average person. But they um, their DM asked them to have their character sheet ready for the next level midway through a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were prepared before they started that podcast for leveling up during that podcast. Yeah, and that's I think that's great because you get to experience the level up kind of together. I mean, it's... Oh, you mean knowing that it was going to happen mid-session? Yeah. Oh, okay. He knew, yeah. he knew okay, you're, you guys are all going to be second level probably somewhere in the middle of this session. So bring your second level character sheets and when we get to like a resting point in the middle, I'll tell you, okay, you guys can level up. And they just flipped sheets. Nice. And it wasn't this, oh, um, you guys can level up sometime between uh, the right. end of this game and the next game we play. I like that. Cause it does feel a little artificial when it has to wait for our breaking point between sessions, you know? Yeah. Uh, and you can come up with, like, a, a narrative to explain that. But yeah, that's, that's kind of cool. But, like, you know, hey, this has happened, and, you know, you're stronger, smarter, wiser, more powerful in the moment. I, yeah, that's cool. And it, I, I think it would feel, it feels more like a video game. I mean, not that that's a good thing, but <laughs> but it feels like that instant gratification that yes. you get with video games when you don't have to sit down and do all the work I've never, before you get the satisfaction. I've never heard someone bring it that way. I mean, I've heard of bringing your character sheets leveled up and all that, but so that for the express purpose of being able to seamlessly fold that into a session. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. I like that. You've probably experienced this more than me because I haven't played as much as you, but... Um, Arguing or questioning the DM, does that happen? Uh, that happens a lot. Um, I've seen it a lot in RPGA, the old Adventures League or Guild or whatever. Um, it's a certain type of player, in my experience, hmm. that I, I, don't, I didn't see a lot in personal groups. Okay. Because that, as a certain type of player who generally doesn't, it because it surfaces very early, and generally they don't do well in a, in a group where people know how they play. Right? Hmm. Again, in my experience, D and D. I think actually in the player's handbook they have a they have a list of the types of players. Yeah, I've, I've I don't know if it's in the PHP or not, but I've seen some. Like yeah, that. maybe it's in the DM DM's guide. One one thing that I've seen a lot, and I've been that person before. <laughs> It's not somebody who's argumentative, but somebody who will negotiate with the DM and be like, well, what about this? Okay. Can I do this? Yeah. What do you think about me doing this? And I used to have a, a DM who had this a very simple rule, um, very self-serving rule, but uh, <laughs> a very simple rule of if you guys want to use something that's not in the core three books, that's fine, but you have to buy me that book. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You know, and, and justifying it by I have to be able to know the rules and the reference for it and all that. But really, I want more books. <laughs> if you, I'm more than happy to do that. If you're willing to do that, um, and I think that he actually got taken up on that much more than he anticipated. <laughs> uh, he, he did it as more of kind of like you know a, a barrier, you know, to yeah to discourage that kind of thing. And, and we had a couple players like, cool, great, <laughs> I'll see you Tuesday, right? With with a new book and. Uh, and the parts that I want to use. And yeah, I've... it's a balancing act there, because when you introduce new rules, 
everybody kind of needs to know about them a little bit. So it does slow things down a little bit. Well, it goes back to what you said about not the same rules for everybody. So if you've got well, specific rules to your class, right? Like when I did it, and he didn't tell me to. And I thought this was very cool. This is one of my favorite experience with the character building. I had a barbarian in three five, um, and barbarians would go through these kind of evolutions. Um, as they would level, but also that's very, very cool prestige classes available to them. Specifically, Forgotten Realms, I think it was the Unapproachable East uh, expansion book. I'm not 100% certain on that. But basically, there were all these like barbarian tribes, and based on the tribe, you could get these really cool powers. My and the, my DM was just like, "Hey, listen, if you if you want to have these certain things, that's fine." And I was, I like, "This sounds cool. This sounds cool, but I'd really like it if my strength went up, and you know, and this <laughs> like I was kind of gaming it, you know, just yeah. like I want these specific mechanical things to happen." He's like, "Fine, great, I get, it, I understand. Write up a clan with a backstory that justifies why you would have those changes." And then I was like, oh, shit, he gave me homework. And, and I sat down, I was like, ah, oh, it kind of sucks, you know, not. He, he tricked me. He made me do the work, right, instead of just doing what I wanted. And I thought about it, and I started writing it up. And I, and, and I got really into this idea of, like, this this clan that would be out in, you know, they they lived in the snow, and so they got, they got the cold resistance, um, and they would and they all had these totems, right? And so mine became like the totem of like the ice troll or something like that. And I think he made me come up with a, some initiation ritual that would oh. basically you, you had to do all that and you had to meet this criteria and do a specific thing, and then you could take that prestige class because it was a prestige class. It was just like a leveling up. And all of the prestige classes had these requirements. You maybe had to go on a quest. You had to you know do a certain thing. But it was oh, I loved prestige classes in three five because. They just added the story element to it. You you had to earn this mechanic by going through some kind of ordeal or something, and that was just really cool that he took my greedy metagaming <laughs> bullshit behavior and he turned it into this really constructive, you know, storytelling exercise. Well, I feel it feels like a a DM's job is to is to arbitrate, especially when the rules differ between people. It's uh, the DM's doing a couple different things. One, making sure that you doing that doesn't make it less fun for others. Yes. But also making sure that whatever you do get makes it fun for you. Yes. Uh, Eleanor, who was playing with actually the first uh, D&D campaign that I ever ran, um, she came to me and she's like, I want to be a dryad. I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> Um, if you and and I did essentially the same thing. I said if you can find material that somebody else has written up that explains um, that that builds out the the dryad class, we can work together and we can we can make this work. Essentially, she found a bunch of homebrew stuff. It was like the first time she'd ever played too, so she was <laughs> she was into it right away. She wanted a very specific character and a spe- very specific class. Or race, sorry, and she she did the work. She found all of the back uh, material, presented it to me, and I was like, "Oh crap!" There's all sorts of conflicts between. There's like three different versions of a dryad, and, and it, we worked it out. And I recognized in doing that that my job was to make sure that she didn't get overpowered, and it didn't seem like she's the the superhero and everybody's her sidekick. But she got what she wanted. She wanted to be a dryad. She got the the um, the flavor that she wanted out of D and D. I mean, it's it's not really a table. Well, I guess it is a table manners thing. It's 
it's um, it's okay for players to ask for things. Yeah. And it's my manners as a DM, I need to be open to that. If I'm not open to that, then I could be squashing the fun for one of my players. And it took me a long time to figure out that it's okay for me to ask for things. Because I mm. always felt like, and I think you and I talked about this, I don't know if it was the last session or earlier today, but I felt like I was stepping on the DM's toes by trying to craft something in the world. Mm. And a big part of me figuring this out was when my own DM gave me that project of like come up with a, a clan with a history that will be the reason why your barbarian you know has these powers when certain things happen I was like well I can't write that that's you know that's me creating in your world it's like I don't care right. do it it's I, less work for me to do yeah no we did talk about it in one of, the, one of the other episodes I love when players bring to the world things that I didn't think of before because if they do they're making it a lot easier for me if you'd done that in a game that I was running, I'd be like, great, there's a whole continent of people, a whole tribe of people, a whole world that didn't exist, and I didn't have to make it. I'm so happy about not having to do that work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, it never occurred to me that that was okay, right? Yeah. Do you Have you had experience with somebody arguing with the DM? Because you, you've had much more like community social play than I have with people that you don't actually know outside of the game. Well, um, yeah, one Adventure League situation, there was somebody who wasn't really arguing with the DM, but was kind of pushing the envelope with the DM. Yeah. I mean, in most situations, people aren't just going to get up in your face and start arguing with you about things. Uh, they'll push a little bit first. And so this guy was pushing the DM, like, I want to do... And it was just, just about the mechanics of a, of a particular combat encounter. He says, I want to do a backflip over this thing, and I want to land in this place. And uh, it was a long string of events that normally a, uh, wouldn't count as one round. But the DM was like, okay, you've, you've, you've spelled out everything that you want to do. Sounds cool. A little uh, more than is uh, normally acceptable for a six-second turn. And so... the the DM was just like, okay, well, I'll let you do up to this. And the player's like, okay, great. And then the next round, again, with a huge, long list of things that he was going to do during right. his turn. And the DM was like, okay. And I felt like it was, it wasn't an argument, but it was this conflict of the player pushing the boundaries. Yeah. Seeing uh, what they can get away with. Yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> Can I? But I've done that, too. First, I'm going to rip off some of my tunic. I'm going to wrap it around the end of the arrow. I'm going to light the arrow, and I'm going to shoot it. Can I do that in one round? Right. Eh, depends on the DM. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it probably depends. like, well, that's, that sounds really cool. Um, is, it, yeah. is that like going to be like this very cool, memorable moment? Or is that somebody specifically just trying to get as much out of that six seconds as possible <laughs> and sneak in as many actions as possible, right? Yeah. And like you said... In a situation where uh, it's a bunch of strangers playing, it's more common for people to kind of push the boundaries or do things that are kind of against the grain of either that particular DM or that group of people. Mm -hmm. Which is why it's kind of a, a gamble, right? The that that social meetup game experience. Yeah, I haven't. I actually haven't been to one in a, almost a year now. Um, mostly because I've been running our games. You lose a lot when you're with strangers. You don't get 
your characters don't get to know one another. You don't get uh, a uh, a long arc of a story. A lot a lot of story things are about setup and payoff. In a, a adventure league situation, the setup and payoff's got to happen within like a two hour span of time. Right. Yeah. And if you don't get the setup and payoff, then that's not going to happen. You can create a really cool character, come to the game, and it, you're just going to get your character's going to get glossed over. And we talked about that a couple months ago about how, oh, I guess about a year ago now, because you were you were actively doing this when we were talking about it. Mm. Those those sessions, those modules are are very very specifically structured in a way to facilitate that that strictly bounded period of time yeah. that you have to play. Um, They're brilliantly crafted to fit a very small amount of time. Uh, but aside from that, is that they tend to have a, a kind of a very similar feel as far as the pacing. They do. And all of that, um, which is great for, again, a pickup game, right? Things right. like that. Um, but f- and, I, and, I, and I love, you know, I guess when I did the RPG, I thought it was a great experience. But you do get something in, in a recurring game with the same people that you don't get in that that feeling of continuity and yeah. knowing that this is something that's going to possibly go somewhere with the same party and all you know uh, the lasting effect the repercussion yeah so so then when you do have a group of consistent people like I've only had that a little bit so I started running one campaign and it kind of fizzled out so we just couldn't find time to, to get together and then I started running the group where it's a rotating seat situation, mm-hmm. and it wasn't consistent. Uh, it was all people that knew one another, so it felt a little more familiar. Um, I think in the, in the not-too-distant future, I'm going to start a game that's just a select set of people, four or five players, and just do that. I think it's in the DMG or in the, the um, player's handbook, they talk about people having roles beyond just their their gaming roles like somebody needs to be designated to be the map maker mm. the person who draws the maps as the dm explains them um and somebody who keeps track of well when when i was playing when you were running a game um savannah always kept track of the money mm-hmm. we just trusted her to keep track of money and we didn't Pay attention to it. In my, in my experience, and I, I've played in, in, in groups where those were kind of assigned roles. Oh, okay. Um, which I personally am not super fond of. Really? Like, for me, and if I go to a meeting or something, I can listen or I can take notes. I actually can yeah. do both. That's fair. I think it's just the way I'm wired. Like, I, if, I'm, if I'm taking notes, then I'm like, okay... I just missed the past five minutes because, one, I can't do both, and two, I, I write very slowly. <laughs> um... So I try to try to listen and retain as much as possible, right? And there are plenty of people. I don't know plenty of people here in this building who can just listen and take perfect notes oh, yeah. the entire time. Yep. I don't know how they do it. I'm incredibly envious of their ability to do that, but I know I am not somebody who's able to do that. Right. Um, so uh, you know, to assign someone, like, say, cartography, who is going to sit there and do that, and then whenever they're doing it, it's pulling them out of that experience, and that you know, uh, that can uh, to me be counterproductive. Hmm. Uh, but there will be times when you have to be in a group who they want to dig into the geography of your world and start making hmm. some maps and do that. That's and that's cool. a great opportunity to say, hey, could you do this for the party? And then, you know, it being something, a bonus for them, right? You know, something that yeah. adds to their experience, something being an obligation. I, I'm just, I'm a lazy DM. <laughs> <laughs> I want the players to do more 
and me to do less. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's because you're lazy. I think it's because you do a lot as a DM. You take uh, a lot of the responsibility. Yeah. And, and really, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that if if nobody else takes it away from me, I'm going to spend ridiculous yeah. amounts of time doing work, pre-work, for everybody. Right. And I need to get better about delegating. Um, and sometimes that delegation is just, uh, well, I instituted a rule where I do not keep track of items. Yeah. You keep track of items, you keep track of money. If I say 25 gold pieces, somebody better write it down. Otherwise, you accidentally lost it somewhere in the dungeon. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure that's already uh, kind of come around to, to bite me in the ass. I'm pretty sure I've lost a couple of my cards. That you see, that you <laughs> um, but uh, the cartography, I think, is a great example of what you're talking about, where you do some pre workers like that, and things to be cautious of. I would try to leverage pre existing work, things you can find yeah. lines like yeah. that. Because you are very, very good at making maps. Yeah, I you're, love. You're, I enjoy doing it. But you're not going to get that experience from the player. No. So um, it would be phenomenal to find somebody else in a, in a small group who is as good as it, as you are. So that might be something you don't want to delegate. Something else, the responsibilities, things like uh, tracking conditions, stuff like that. The, tracking. Oh, that you've yeah. Got here, like you know, uh, sleep paralysis, poison, stuff like that. Um, I feel like that's always player responsibility. For themselves, right? Yeah. But can be also very tedious. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of solutions out there that are brilliant for that kind of thing. Initiative trackers that have a little dry erase board with different columns in it, but it's got magnetic oh, yeah. tokens that you can put on it for different players, and then you just kind of slide it around for what their condition is. Tablet apps out there that are really yeah. good at that kind of thing. I mean, I use uh, Game Master. Game Master, is that what it's called? Yeah. Game Master 5. I guess it's appropriate that as the DM, I should be making sure that the players are honest to a yeah. certain extent, at least being a, a double check for them. Um, but, well, that, that gets into a whole topic of um, table manners, honesty and dishonesty. Yeah. Have you seen any amount of that in your... Gaming. Oh yes, I have not because I've played with a lot of very honest people. Surprisingly, I you know maybe I've seen a little bit of dishonesty, but not much. It's it's for the most part people are up and up when I've been playing. With them. I I've, I've definitely seen it. I've seen it a lot in the you know the RPG type deals. Okay, RPG. When I played, I had a lot of very strict controls and, and record keeping to try to make sure that didn't happen. Um, but you would see people who may, may not have a long-term benefit from what they were doing, right? But an immediate, like, fudging a role or something like that mm-hmm. uh, because they didn't necessarily care about the social perception about the people around them because they would never see them again. Fair enough. Again, kind of like the argument between DM versus the negotiator. Um, and like you said, the pushing the boundaries. I've seen people who don't necessarily, like, they're dishonest, but who... For them, the part of the experience, the enjoyment, is that they trying to sneak something past the DM, right? Okay. And it's very good natured. I've, I've seen a lot of that. I've done that before, but like, you know, just it, like it's a, you know, like a contest between them and the DM to see who the, can catch what. I've I've like had, I've had friends uh, who we called rules lawyers. They were constantly appealing to the judge. Uh, and sometimes the judge was just the room of people. I, we played Magic the Gathering, mm-hmm. and I had uh, one friend in particular 
who would he'd pull out a card and be like, I think this can do this. And we'd all be like, that's kind of, I don't know. And then he'd spend like 15 minutes explaining why this card is going to destroy all of those cards. <laughs> okay, I guess, unless somebody could make a compelling right. argument. And For that, I, I think that it's very close to not the reason why that rule exists right at the beginning of the rule book, like at the end of the final say. Yeah. Right. I, I think that that's one thing that draws me to D&D uh, is the fact that there is an arbiter. If you have a good DM, they know that their job is to make it fun for everybody, not just to make it fair. Right, and there's a difference. Yeah. So a lot of what we talked about, the tabletop manners are, are universal yeah. or player-focused. What about DM-focused <laughs> manners? I don't know. I always act nice, don't I? You do, you do, you do. I don't know that I do. Like again, for for me, there's always that temptation of like, trying to win, you know, really? and, and 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 kill the players. <laughs> this is see that's a that's a difference in. I think this is described in the player styles. There are um, the min maxers mm-hmm. uh, who want to win. They're the strategists. They love making sure that the game goes as. Um, strategically or tactically as correct as possible. Right. I think you fall into that camp more than me. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, there's a storyteller uh, DMs and players, and I love a story. If my uh, monsters die in a, in a glorious way, I am happy. Right. If they live in a boring way, I'm unhappy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's... that's uh, I don't know that all DMs have to be storytellers, but obviously I think that's better because that's who, who I am. <laughs> well, and I, I guess I should clarify, I don't want to kill the players because I feel that's a better story or they're well, no. fun doing that. I'm constantly suppressing the fact that I'm playing the game and I have this competitive streak in me and that's not usually, sometimes it can be, but usually conducive to everybody having fun, right? But it, but it can be. I mean, the something that the uh, the profiles of players points out is that every one of these is valid. Some of them can be corrosive, but every one of them is valid. As a, as a storyteller, it can be corrosive because I can just gloss over the mechanics and people can get upset about that. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel fair anymore because I'm just like, you know what? I don't care about that dice roll I just did. Whatever. Let's move on. That was. Uh, I'll say that this happened because that sounds more interesting. Um... But uh, where the crap was I going with that? I don't know. Well, well then, could, would you agree that perhaps not being, uh, not recognizing, and or accommodating your player styles could be bad manners for a DM? Oh, absolutely. Um, and it's difficult. I, I think it's difficult as a DM to do that. But it is part of your job mm-hmm. to know your players and understand them. Um, so I'm very um, appreciative of the folks who run uh, Adventure League games because they they deal with every kind of player under the sun and they have to deal with them all at once. Mm-hmm. And I know personally almost all of the players that I play with and I can play off of who they are. And sometimes I don't still because I'm too focused on either my preparation or running a particular encounter or just I'm, I'm focused on telling a story 
rather than making it fun for others? Uh, for me, um, one of the worst things you can do as a DM is to be unwilling to break the rules. Hmm. To not be willing to fudge a roll or let someone do something <laughs> they shouldn't be able to do, right? And that can eat, it's a very slippery slope that can easily do that, but when you enforce the rules to the detriment of the story and the experience of the players, the rules are there to, to facilitate and enhance that experience. People aren't there for the rules, right? Right. Uh, and so when you make that the end all be all, you're not willing to at least be a little bit flexible or something to help somebody have fun. Um, that's a, that's bad manners, mm. right? And you and I talked about like preparation and all that. In my experience, I think that you tend to prepare a lot because you really want people to have fun. Yeah, yeah. And I used to prepare a lot because I was terrified of not knowing how to handle the situation when it came up. Oh, I'm terrified of that as well. Um, <laughs> which, and then that's going to happen no matter what, but your yeah. main, concern, main concern should be making sure people are fun. And mine was making sure that I was playing the game right, not understanding uh-huh. that that's yeah. not how you play the game, right? <laughs> um, there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's a Gary Gygax quote that's something like, the, the biggest secret about D&D is that you don't need the rules. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm selling these books to everybody, right. but they don't need them. Uh, pretty sure he wasn't in sales, so... <laughs> Um, and that's something that just kind of I maybe you're naturally gifted with it you know when you start running the game it's very possible for me I had to learn that I'm not saying I have learned it I'm still still uh, kind of working on that but yeah I was oblivious to that when I first started playing and what I'm when I started as a DM I was oblivious to the fact that I'm not telling a story I'm facilitating a story right yes. that's for a, for a storyteller that can be a trap um, mm-hmm. and I've heard people talk about um, if you're going to be a DM and you just want to write a story go write a story get people to read your story Yeah. if you want to, f- to write a campaign a, 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 a scenario for your players you're you can't railroad your players uh, into a particular story and that's something that I had to learn but the first game that I was trying to run, I wrote a whole huge story. I pretty much I knew how it was going to end mm-hmm. before we started the game, and that's uh, it's not wrong. It's good to have an understanding of the arc. But I had details, and I had and I had my uh, Mary Sue. Is that what it's called? I don't follow. Mary Sue is you write your own character into the game. I've so never they, heard of that concept before. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's something... They're uh, called a Mary Sue. You write your own character into the game, and then you play that character because you have a hero fantasy of some sort. Huh, okay. Um, and I've heard people say, never do that about D&D. Don't write your own character into D&D. It seems like you just play if you want to do that. Exactly. If you want to play, play. If you want to be a DM, be a DM. And being a DM is facilitating the game, not trying to force a particular um, agenda or storyline. What I learned very quickly with that first campaign that I was trying to run, uh, that it didn't work. I was able to, to kind of guide the ship in the direction I wanted it to go, but I realized I was struggling to keep the ship in 
on a very, very particular path. And maybe I did an okay job not making it look like I was doing that, but it was a struggle. Whereas it doesn't have to be a struggle. It can be like, hey, I've got all of these players, I've established a world, and I gave you guys a reason to do something. Excite me with how you're (laughs) going to figure out how to do what what this world has asked you to do. Mm -hmm. I think I had bad manners looking back as a DM, but I was I was smart enough to to not try to railroad. But I was stupid enough not to know that there was a whole other approach to the whole thing. Um, rather than trying to write a three act play, it's you write introductions, you write a, a setting, and then you let them figure out act two and three. I didn't. I didn't notice that when you, when you ran it at all. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't feel like I was being railroaded or anything. But it kind of seems like we are. We are really kind of circling this one main theme as far as that. Really, the uh, a DM can do anything, you know, because they're running the game. All that. The worst thing they can do is to make players play their game, um, and that feeds back into Matt Kuval, his podcast. Where he talks about taking away a player's sense of agency, yes. right? Um, that immediately, you know, subverts the game experience for them. I just remembered one of the like golden rules of being a DM: you do not tell the player what they think or what they feel. That is breaking the rules in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's some gray area there, like. You can't take away from the player their ability to have control, and right. if you do, I mean that's what you're, you you just said. That's their one voice, right, in a game. Yeah, is, is their character. You got an infinite number of voices in your world. You can just come up with more and more and more. They get one, right? And for you to, to say, "Well, I'm tired with my toys. I want yours." Yeah, that's, that's pretty <laughs> bad form, right? Like, oh, I mean, I, so an example would be, once in a while, you can as a DM, say, you sense X. Mm-hmm. And that's really just saying that there is a there is a, um, a thought or a feeling that you're having that does come from the outside, and the DM controls that outside world. And I'm telling you, now that's in your, that's in your head, and you, you notice that. Mm-hmm. Um, you notice that you're feeling this sort of sense of dread. That's not taking control away from the player. That's More telling them something influence. they didn't know. But then letting them react to that influence. Right. But if I take their reaction away from them. Right. Yeah. Well, then a great example would have been in, in your game with uh, Ruben. Okay. And and my um, significant trust issues. Yes. You could be like, no, it's okay. You trust Ruben. Right. And so I'm like, uh, no, I don't. <laughs> I'm 100% positive if I don't trust this guy. I'll give a little bit of backstory on Ruben. So Ruben, the first time you guys met him, he said, hey, um, here's a map to a place. Go go there um, and pick something up for me. Right. I'll pay you. And everyone's like, uh, can we trust him? Well, he's paying us, so sure, why not? You go there, and it turns out there are like four or five people who are already there taking the thing that he's sending everybody to go get. Which is one of two other groups that he already sent. Right. To, to find him. <laughs> so he'd sent three groups of people mm-hmm. to the same place. You come back to talk to him. Why should you trust him? He's right. li- He didn't tell you about those two other groups. 
He's just like, I want the thing. Right. And you come back. I could have... I I was in a huge quandary as a, as a DM at that point. <laughs> he was a character that I needed to have in the story. And he was a character that needed to give you more information. And you needed to trust that information. And ultimately, you could have said, no, he's just befuddled you, trust him, all that. Rolled a die and said, it's fine. And it would have gotten us through it. Yeah. Would have been a faster, more concise experience. It would have been a little bit less normal for me. And it would have been a much less memorable experience as far as Ruben, who we did come around. Yeah. Right? And we started to trust him and all that. But we very much enjoyed the experience of the massive paranoia that we had across the group <laughs> of like hey, can we trust this guy we just leave do we you know what do we do how do we deal with this and it, it was like two or three sessions of us coming around to the point where like we were in I think we staked out his spot at the uh, inn at one point you know um, did you or maybe did that was his buddy I don't know we were investigating this guy trying to make sure we were yeah. good. we were outside the you know out of character talking about like oh well, he did this and that and trying to like Analyze his motives for what he would do, and which and, is great, made it a much better experience. Right, I inadvertently. I mean, th- this whole situation was because I didn't realize how much mistrust would be established mm-hmm. by doing what I, having him say what he said and do what he did. Um, but by not just saying, you know what, you trust him. That's which what I needed as would, a DM. But would have mechanically satisfied that moment. Yep. But would have you know, robbed of us that, of that shared perception of Ruben, right? Which massively enriched the game, right? Right. Now, instead of me railroading it and and taking away from the believability of the character um, by just saying you trust him, well, he did something untrustworthy. Right. He inherently did something untrustworthy. How are you going to trust him? So I had to think, how can I build trust? It's I, I can't tell you to trust him. I have to um, give you the uh, proof that he's trustworthy. Um, that was very difficult. It was like two or three weeks of me being like, what is the nature of trust? <laughs> How can I make this character trustworthy? He isn't, and I know he isn't, and I have to do something. And uh, But coming back to the, the table manners... I haven't seen it before, having a DM just... Well, actually, on some actual plays, I've seen DMs do it, where they say, you think this, you feel this, you you trust them. Um, And I think that's probably the most common one. You trust them. Uh, And that feels like breaking the rules to me. Um, I I think that you think... Is, it's okay in certain circumstances. A lot of times, a, a player might roll a perception, roll yeah. something like that, and they're looking for guidance, looking for some kind of input. Yeah, and then that's like, true. Eh, you think that he's holding something back, or you think that you know that that's fine, as as opposed to you know somebody making this decisive, almost emotional thing. Like, well, you think that's a bad idea, or you think like that well, that's a, that's a conclusion they can come to their own. Yeah, it's it's the conclusions yeah. that are the breaking the rule. You you think this, and now you're going to come to the conclusion that uh, I don't know. 
observations as opposed to, like you said, conclusions or decisions, right? Yeah. You think they might be telling the truth. It's more of an observation as opposed to uh, you you think that their political views are wrong. And And, uh, you've decided that you're going to go on this quest. Yeah, you, I, you, oh, you can't do that. Right, you just, you there we go. Now we've, that. I think we've hit the core of the oh, issue. You cannot You've decisions. decided yeah, yeah, to do that's, X. That's crossing the line. <laughs> now, I didn't, I didn't internalize that until just now, that telling the player the decision is, is the, the line you can never cross. Because a lot of the you think this, you think that, is, can very much so be you painting a picture and, and how we're visualizing things, right? Yeah. Um, but then the actions you take based off that picture, that's, you know, that, that mental perception of what's happening in the game, that's, they have to do that on their own. A player yeah. has to make the decision on their own. And I, that, um, I actually think there's a, there's kind of like potentially three layers to this. There's you paint the picture of the world, that should build the perception that the players have and the perception leads to the decision mm-hmm. so if I've done my job perfectly in painting the picture of the world then your perceptions will match what I what I want them to match but sometimes I might have mm-hmm. to tell you you think this you feel this and that's a, a, a feedback loop of trying to you know I don't want to say getting things back on track but then based off the decision that you make I then paint a picture based off your actions and all of that, right? Yeah. But I never stop, grab your character and make a course correction, like no. violently, and like, no, you did this, right? Um, right. That immediately disengages the player. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if I've mentioned this or not. I think we've talked about. I am consistently astonished at how much we can talk about some of these topics. <laughs> um, I actually thought this was going to be a fifteen-minute. I did too. And when we started off, I was like, ah, I don't say, I don't talk about. <laughs> Oh, you know, I, I got nothing. And, yeah, and here we are, like an hour and a half later. <laughs> so, um, every episode is going to be a half hour longer than the previous. Yeah, until yeah, until we're just constantly doing them. No sleep. <laughs> yeah, no food. So possibly for next session, our, our friend Chris Hartledge might join. That's right. Um, and I will probably uh, miss that one. Okay. But we've got a topic that. Um, I don't want to decide for you, but I think that might be better suited for the two of you, and that was the, the narrative one that yeah. you brought up. Uh, yeah, I, I want to talk about narration, um, which is, uh, as, a, as somebody who really enjoys the storytelling mm-hmm. aspect, um, narration is a, is a, it feels like a big part of how you frame the story. Yeah. And you're very good at it. And Chris is very good at it. Chris is great at it. And I don't even think about it. So um, I'm probably not the best person to talk about it. Fair enough. If you're watching this, that means you've probably watched three episodes. You should probably subscribe because you'll probably watch more. In the comments, tell us things. Uh, I love getting comments. Um, And again, we, we don't have a name. I'm leaning toward Dungeons and Tangents. I like that a lot. Because clearly we go off. Yes. Um, but if you have suggestions for uh, a name for the podcast, I don't think we'll stick with one until we've got four or five episodes. And that's about it. I, I think, think we're done. Okay. Next episode, we're joined by Chris Rutledge, 
and we talk about how narration plays into running D&D. It's a very broad subject, but we touch on a lot of the key subjects. If you enjoy Dungeons & Tangents, please let us know by rating us on iTunes. You can also let us know by finding us on Twitter at Dungeon underscore Tangent and sending us a funny picture. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us.